are starting a series on Galatians, as you can see right there with this wonderful artwork. And we wonder, like, why Galatians? Why are we doing it? And so this is going to be just a, kind of like an intro to Galatians a bit, and we'll talk about the first five verses. But Martin Luther, a uh, great man, theologian, Reformation, everything, he considered Paul's letter slash epistle to the Galatians to be the most important book in the Bible. And this is Martin Luther. He called it my epistle. He labeled it my epistle and said, if it were possible to marry an epistle, Galatians would be my wife. (laughs) That would be an interesting relationship. It would be an awkward scene on date night. I'm not sure how that would look, but however, he thought that this book was so important that he he would marry it. And he would say it would be better to read Galatians a thousand times before you read the first thing by him, Martin Luther. He said this book in some ways was more important than Romans. Please don't revolt against me. People are like, Romans is like what our faith, our gospel is about. If you're upset with that, go find Martin Luther's grave and yell at it. Don't yell at me. And so he really, really believes Galatians is an important book. He said this because whereas the book of Romans most clearly explains what the gospel is, Galatians explain what it is not. And sometimes that's more important to understand. More important to understand what the gospel isn't. So we don't get messed up. In the book of Galatians, if you've read it, six chapters, dynamite. Because it brings us face to face with the gospel. Sometimes it's common in our circles, Christian circles, to assume the gospel is for the non-Christians, non-believers, people who come to know Jesus. And we see at the basic, the ABCs of doctrines that They are the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. We often assume that once we're converted, once we've accepted him, once we've heard the gospel and we've accepted it into our lives, that we don't need to understand it anymore. But we need need more advanced material. We need to go deeper. But in this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z. It is everything from beginning to the end of the Christian life. It is not the only way to enter the kingdom, It's the way to live out as part of the kingdom. We need to know how to enter, but we need to know how to live being a part of this kingdom now that we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And it transforms us. It transforms people. I hear the gospel now, and it still just works on my heart. It needs to. And so we're going to see Paul showing young Christians in Galatia that their spiritual problem is not only caused by failing to live in obedience to God, but also relying on obedience to him. We're going to see him telling them all that they need, all they could ever need, is the gospel of God's unmerited favor to them through Christ's life, his death, and resurrection. We're going to see, we're going to hear him solving their issues, not through telling them to be better Christians, like we tell our kids, you know, be better, you know, be better, but, and that doesn't always work, but by calling them to live out the implications of the gospel. This is how you grow. This is how you become, you know, better. And so this is what this book is about And we're going to watch Paul challenge them and us with the simple truth that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but the A to Z. The Christians need the gospel just as much as those who don't don't know Christ. So Paul will explain to us that the truths of the gospel change life from top to bottom. We're going to be changed as we read, and that's what we want to have. That it will transform our hearts, it will transform our approach to thinking, it will transform everything. The gospel, you don't know the gospel, it's the message that we are, 
we've sinned and that we dare, that if we even dare, we're more wicked than we even dared to believe. But more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared to hope that Christ loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he creates a new dynamic for personal growth and obedience and love. Galatians, can't say it again, is all about the gospel, which all of us need throughout our lives. This is huge. This is why we're doing this. And it's dynamite. And I pray that it explodes in your heart. That was super corny, but I hope it's super corny that you still remember it. It makes you passionate to see the same work done in other people's hearts. So, before we dive in, before we continue to go through this, this is why we're doing Galatians, we need to understand just a little bit more about it. There are three things that rec- help us recognize this letter. PowerPoint, boom, look at that. One, there's a group of teachers in Galatia who are now insisting that the Gentile Christians practice all the traditional ceremonial customs of the law of Moses, as the Jewish Christians did. And so these ones were like, you need to do this in order to really be saved, in order to really follow after Christ, you need to actually be doing these things. They said you need to do the dietary laws that we do. You actually you need to be circumcised for full acceptance and to be completely pleasing to God. But when Christ came, where the gospel came, it created one family. This doesn't feel like one family. You need to do these things if you want to be like us, if you want to be a true Christian. So these Jews came and we were creating two sections. This is, we're trying to keep things separate. We're trying to keep Jews and Gentiles separate. They thought we can't have like Jewish believers and like, we're the holy ones. And Gentile believers, these guys are just now coming in, living as though they were a part of the same family. That's crazy talk. If these outsiders, if these Gentiles want to be a part of the real inner circle, the family God promised to Abraham, they will have to become Jews. You need to become Jews then. So you got to be circumcised. And at that age, I'm sure they're all like, yay. Listen, circumcision in order to receive salvation? No, thank you. I'm not down with that. The Galatians, they must have been crazy in order to believe this. And you got to keep the law. You must do the things that keep Jews and Gentiles neatly separated. This is what they're telling them. Keep the law. Keep the law. Does that sound like what Christ came to do? This is what snuck into the church of Galatia. This is what the Jewish teachers said was the real good news. They were questioning even Paul as an apostle. They were like, who? Like, Paul? Paul, the apostle? Yeah, that guy didn't learn from Jesus. We, though, we learned from the original apostles, the OGs, the Peter and Jesus, his bro, his name's James. We learned from those guys. You know what? My, ch- my children, they say some pretty outlandish demands for things like for me to do. Like they, if I want to be in part of their clubhouse, if I want to go into this like sect that they've made under the tree, like they, I come and like, can I be a part? They're like, well, first you need to eat some dirt. I'm like, what do you mean eat some dirt? Then second thing, you got to catch a snake. That's Malachi's demand. Then the other thing is bring $5. The other thing is pick your nose, see how far you can flick it. If you can get it to the other side of the, uh, the house, then you're good to come in, right? To get into the club, to be a part of everything that's you. I'm like, I'm your dad. Isn't that good enough? Isn't this what it's about? Being part of one family? Why do I need to do all these things to be a part of the clubhouse? And so this is part of it. That you need to do these laws that Jesus came to fulfill, 
And so, this is part of what's happening in Galatians. So the church of Galatia is now believing these things. They're starting to do these laws. The second thing is, by insisting on Christ plus anything else as a requirement for full acceptance by God, these teachers were presenting a whole different way of relating to God, a different gospel, from the one Paul given to them, the one that Paul preached to them, a one full of grace. It is a different gospel that was created in this cultural division and strife. It was, it was not being, it's not inviting to be one family. It was like, oh, I still need to do these things, I guess, in order to be part of this family? That just seems, uh, that doesn't seem right. So, the third thing, and the most obvious fact about the historical setting, and it's often the most overlooked in the letter to Galatians. Paul expands in detail what the gospel is and how it works. But the intended audience of this exposition of the gospel are all professing Christians. It is not simply non-Christians, but also believers who need continually to learn the gospel and apply it to their lives. People need to hear the gospel who don't know Jesus. We need to continue to hear the gospel so we continue to better understand it. So we don't let things come in that actually shouldn't be in that. We're like, yeah, you need to do these things in order to be part of the club. And it's not a club. It's a family. So this is what is happening in Galatians. This is what's going on. With that in mind, let's open to Galatians chapter 1, 1 to 5. You're like, that is the longest intro I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Thank you. I tried so hard to make it very long for you. (laughs) Anyways, Galatians 1, verses 1 to 5. And it says, it will be right up here. If you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read it. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. Here we go. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. First of all, Paul's quite the title. You know, can he fit it all on a business card? It seems very long. He's like, my name is Paul. I'm not sent from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And some other guys are with me too. Paul is just kind of right out of the gate. He's going, hey, this isn't my musing about Jesus. Like, this isn't, like, what I told you about Jesus, it wasn't something I made up. I haven't been called by men. I wasn't called by men. I haven't been trained by men. He's like, I haven't been trained by some guy. I was called by God through Christ. So what I'm talking to you about isn't what I think or what is my bent. I come to you as an apostle, as a messenger. This is who I am. I am the apostle coming to tell you what the gospel is about. A better way in our culture to think about this is, I come with the power of eternity. I come as a representative of Christ with the power and the authority to speak on his behalf so you might clearly understand his desire for you and what God has purchased in him for each of you. An apostle, not by man, not through man, but by God in Christ. He's saying, come with power. It's like a power of, it, of attorney. So where Paul's apostleship comes into question, we see he addresses it right in the beginning, right off the bat. He's saying, they didn't believe me, guys. Do you, remember the things I've taught you. 
He's like, stop playing. I've been commissioned by God and entrusted with this sacred gospel. I, you can trust in me, guys. You can trust in me. He's saying, I've received it straight from the Lord. The stuff you're hearing about me, it's not from the Lord. It's not true. And the, the crazy thing is, he's not writing this to one church in Galatia. He's writing it to all the churches in Galatia. Where all Paul's other letters, it's to a singular church. This is to all the churches in Galatia, which is now present-day Turkey. This is huge. This is not just one church that's been affected. It's one almost like country that's been affected by the gospel of what it isn't. Then another interesting note on this letter is almost all of his Pauline epistles, all of Paul's letters, it starts with this standard greeting, and then there's a prayer. And then he goes into the bulk of his letter, and he just starts talking. But he does not go into a prayer in this letter. He makes a quick statement right in the beginning. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for us. So Paul begins all of his letters with this reminder of grace and peace. Because it's a reminder of what Jesus did. A reminder of the gospel. A reminder of what the gospel is to us. We've gone through John, and we've even read, if you've even read through the other gospels in the New Testament and later, there's this reminder that Jesus brings peace. He brings peace to us in situations. He brings peace to us when we're worried. He comes to us and he appears and we feel peace. We can remember right when Jesus appeared to the disciples at, after his death and his resurrection. There was a situation going on where they were afraid that they were going to die and all the disciples. And Jesus came and he brought them peace. Disciples, their situation didn't change. They were still being sought after as one of Jesus' disciples. But Jesus now came and brought them peace in a hard situation, in a tough time. I was doing devotions with Malachi and Zion, and we were on this new journey now in our home of homeschooling them, those two. And so our oldest son, he's very much determined, focused, ready to give everything, committed. He gives 100% to everything. And so if he feels like he's not doing enough schoolwork, then he's upset. And so he's like, we need, I need more schoolwork. I'm like, okay, nerd. And so... <laughs> And so he's feeling anxious. He's feeling a little bit out of sorts. And so as we do devotions, we open up to Mark 4.35. And it says this. It says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. In other translations, it says this, peace, be still. Not only is Jesus talking to the waves in this story, he's talking to us in this story. He's talking to the disciples, peace, be still, calm down. The waves will obey him and calm down. And what he's showing the disciples is that he brings peace to their lives in the midst of a storm. But in these first five verses of Galatians, we see this is a different kind of situation. 
that on, than on the boat. It's different than the boat. It's different than when Jesus died and now the disciples were afraid of their life and they were hiding from the Jews. Right? The storm wasn't their fault. Right? The, the storm, the disciples didn't say, yeah, let it storm right now. Let's see if Jesus will stop this. And then Jesus was like, yeah, I'll stop that. That didn't happen. They were out in the boat. A storm happened. And then Jesus was there. He calmed the storm. He calmed them. It was a natural thing. The disciples, they didn't kill Jesus. I mean, Judas, I mean, he maybe had a hand in it, yes. But because of their relationship with Jesus, they feared for their life. They feared that they were going to die. Jesus came and brought them peace in a situation that wasn't their doing. But here in this scripture, here in the church of Galatians, it is a bit of, you can say, they're kind of, it's a bit of their fault. There is a sense of you guys didn't listen to what I, I've taught you. You're letting these guys come in and, and tell you a fake gospel, do all these rules and things like that. One that relies on your works and not the work of Jesus. So when Paul says peace, he's telling them that you don't need to hide. And so for us, when we sin, when we fall short and we feel like it's our fault, right? There's something that happens when it's our fault that we kind of, we're afraid to, to come to somebody, right? Saying sorry is hard. Saying sorry is a hard thing to do. But here it is in this story. It's still about peace. Even when we feel like we've messed up, Jesus says, still, you come to me. I'll give you peace. So when Paul says peace, he's telling them, you don't need to hide. And this is huge because it speaks right to why Jesus came, right in this letter. Grace and peace to you. When we feel like we do something wrong in our relationship with Christ, or even if we feel like maybe we don't know Christ, and you're like, I don't know if I can come to him, or you've heard about him, and you're like, yeah, he seems like it's, there's too much work, or there's too many rules, it seems boring, and you don't know what I've done, but I can't come to him. He can't wipe everything away. Maybe we blame somebody else. He's just like, just come. Grace and peace to you. This is why I came. And so this, this natural ability to hide, it, it comes back to the garden where they sin and they hid. And we get this ability that we sin, we hide too. That there is this life in the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, and it's about doing works to make things right with God, following the law of Moses and such. Why is there sacrifices? This is unbelievable. What? This story seems crazy. This God seems, he seems out of control. But then the New Testament comes, and we see this story of what it's all about. And it reminds me of a parable in the New Testament that helps us understand the purpose of Christ. A parable Jesus told the tax collectors that shows we don't need to do what was done, to what was happening in the Old Testament. We don't need to do those things. We don't need to do what the Jews are telling the Galatians that you need to be following the dietary needs. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this, this, and this in order to be part of this family. This story is about a young man who ruined his life. He left home, traveled abroad, and wasted his fortune on a shallow pursuits and empty pleasures. Some of us, we've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Eventually, he came to the end of his rope. He was out of money, out of food, out of help, and out of hope. This is better known as the prodigal son in Jesus' famous parable. In Luke 15, the story says, there was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. 
After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Unbelievable story. Man, a boy who wants what is his, what he feels is his. He goes and he wastes it all. And now he's at this point, this lowest point in his life, where he's with the pigs. He's hanging out with pigs. And he's actually jealous of the pigs. I've never been to that point. The only reason I like pigs is for bacon. And so he's, maybe he was thinking about that. Maybe that's where bacon began. I don't know. And so he is looking at the pigs, longing for what they have. Longing for what they have. He's had it all, but he wasted everything. He's the lowliest of lows. He's in this pit. But there's this father who he can go back to. But he's just like, I just can't. I, just, I can't do it. No, he doesn't, know, he doesn't want to know the things I've done with his money. He doesn't want to know the things. He doesn't want to know where I've been. He doesn't want to know the things I've done. We see that this son does what Adam and Eve does too. He hides. He hides with the pigs. My question is like, what do we do when we've messed made a mess of things. Do we hide? Where do we go? Do we feel like we're, we're lowly? Do we drag our feet? Woe is me. Some of my kids, they've got this down, knuckles to the floor. Oh, gosh. My life is so hard. I had to wake up before 8 o'clock. Where do we go when we blow it badly, when we feel like we've missed it, when we feel like we were making mistakes? Where do we turn to when we maybe made our, our child upset with our harsh words? When we've betrayed our spouse with sheer stupidity. When we alienated a colleague or a classmate with a series of me first choices, we're like, it's all about me. When we've driven a wedge between friends or sown discord among congregants, among those that we rub shoulders with here. Where do we go? What do we do? What do we do when we make a mess of things? Where do we go when we've been insensitive, thoughtless, or downright, maybe even just obnoxious? How do we respond when we've drifted away from faith, we've compromised the gospel, or we turned our back on God? What do we do? Where do we go? That's the question I can't answer for you. Only you know. When Paul's young converts in Galatia first heard this letter of rebuke read aloud, they too, no doubt, they wanted to hide. Like, oh no, we made Paul upset. As far as Paul was concerned, they've drifted a bit. They turned their faith inside out and upside down. That's what happens when we turn our back on grace and we seek to be justified by the law. The Galatians, they found themselves in a serious situation. In fact, it couldn't be more serious. Paul knows it. They know it. We're in a tough spot right here, right now. We feel lost. We feel wondering. We feel like we're that, that prodigal son stuck in the pig pen. Yet notice where this big-hearted apostle leads these wayward young converts to. He doesn't take them out behind the shed for a good whipping or banish them to the doghouse for their retribution. Sometimes we think like God's like that, and he's just going to beat us when we make a mistake. He's going to just, that weight's going to be upon us. No, that's the enemy. He wants you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to go back to Christ. Nor does he vent his frustration with them on Facebook, or tweet their crime in 140 characters or less on Twitter. He doesn't post on Instagram saying, hashtag stupid Galatians, hashtag OMG, hashtag I can't believe 